My name is Sam Hellman, and I love to podcast. Episode 50 of the Rutgers Scoutcast is here, approaching the one-year anniversary, and here on episode 50, we have another Rutgers Scoutcast alumni back on the program. Like I said, my name is Sam Hellman. I am the host of the Rutgers Scoutcast. I am the publisher over at Scarlet Report. As always, you can go to Scarlet Report to... uh, Get all your Rutgers information. Go ahead and try the subscribe. We have a seven-day free trial. If you shoot me an email, shellman at scout.com, I can get you an extended free trial. We're up big time in terms of the people talking and joining the conversation on Scarlet Report over the last month, and I hope that you're one of them. Contact me at Scout or shellman at scout.com for details. Anyway, plugs out of the way. This is episode 50 of the Rutgers Scoutcast. My guest this week is Rutgers men's lacrosse coach Brian Brecht. While he may downplay it, or some fans may not pay too much attention to lacrosse because of the clash with spring practice or the burnout from signing day, whatever your excuse is, this is a program that deserves your attention. A top 20 team, yet again, began the season ranked number 16 in the country, 1-0 after a victory opening weekend against St. John's. And if you're listening to this Friday as it drops, the home opener... Tomorrow, 2.30 against Army, a lot of history, two programs celebrating lacrosse anniversaries, one of the longest standing rivalries in the Northeast, which is really the home of lacrosse. We're talking about a Big Ten Coach of the Year name and a program that's on the rise despite injuries. So whether you're here for football or you're here for recruiting, I think that anyone that's a Rutgers fan that's listening is going to want to hear from Brian Breck, not only Do we get some insight into his sixth year in the program? He's one of the longest tenured coaches Rutgers has now, believe it or not, after he came over from Siena. We get his insight. Uh, Brian Brecht comments on some of the big picture stuff. While some of the, the biggest developments on the fundraising and the facilities front have been for football, basketball, baseball, Brian Brecht is a Rutgers first guy, he's a family guy, and so he's very happy to talk about seeing other programs get this done and what that means for the future of Rutgers lacrosse. You're going to hear about that. You're going to hear about the deal with Adidas and his take. You're going to hear me try and fit in and act like I understand youth slang during this subject. Coach Brecht might do the same and it might get really awkward for both of us. And then after we discuss Adidas and what it means for his program, if you're a football fan, there's a couple of things in there you want to hear, including the phrase mixing and matching, which I know that football fans love to discuss. Then we talk about his season. We talk about opening the home slate against Army. Again, I, I can't recommend enough people check out a game. They're not too long. The weather's been decent at certain times. This is one of the most competitive teams that Rutgers has, especially when you talk about getting big wins at home. Who knows? Maybe I shoehorn a little Northern Virginia discussion in there, too. After Coach Brian Breck joins the show, Scout National Recruiting Analyst Brian Doan is back for the news. We start to get serious about 2018 recruiting, where Rutgers does not have any commitments right now. Rutgers has already lost a commitment from Trill Williams, the cornerback out of Archbishop Stepanak. If you've heard Trill on this podcast or followed the way he's handled his recruitment, you're probably almost as unsurprised as Chris Ash at that decommitment. We'll talk about some top local guys in 18 during our recruiting spotlight, as well as everything going on football and basketball in the news. After that, Rutgers mailbag time and close. So here it is. Coach Brian Brecht, my conversation with him in his Hale Center office before the Army game Saturday. Here's Brian Brecht. All right, happy to welcome Coach Brian Breck back to the show. Uh, Coach, 2017's gotten off to a good start for you guys. How are you just enjoying another season here, year six for you? It's exciting to you know come to work and uh, go to practice every day. We had, uh, I think, a, a great locker room, the leadership, the culture, and um, you know the competitiveness in practice certainly has uh, allowed us to take steps forward over the years and compete at a level that we want to be competitive uh, you know, for winning Big Ten championships and competing on the national you know, scene. Does it feel like you've been at Rutgers almost as long as Siena now? 
Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, it's 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 getting the old starting to see, you know, when you when your recruits that are coming in are, are graduating and relationship that's being built throughout the you know high school years and college years throughout their four years in the locker room. It's it's certainly a, uh, these are these are exciting times and these are the building and the, and the developing uh, you know every day on and off the field, fun and exciting. What has it been like just spending this much time at Rutgers? I know you spent I, I guess about a year here back in 2000, but just how different Rutgers is and how, how much things have changed in your tenure as a head coach at Rutgers. Well, as far as uh, the time I've been here as a head coach, just, uh, you know, the support, you know, seeing the administrative support, seeing the growth of the program, not only uh, visibly, uh, you know, every day, but conceptually, you know, when you look down the road in the future, some of the exciting things going on with the building and uh, the opportunities with branding and uh, and just uh, uh, what the Big Ten Conference uh, allows us and the, and the platform that they provide us be the best. You know, 250 years of great academics here certainly uh, speak for itself, but the administration has been able to do what we've been able to do in the you know three years now as a Big Ten program uh, is exciting and uh, and uh, looking forward to the future once uh, fully vested and once all these projects you know that uh, everyone can see, uh, but also ones that are being done that uh, you know are not visible right now that uh, that are coming in the near future are, are completed. Uh, it's going to be uh, I say it all the time. Uh, it's not a good time to be at Rutgers. It's a great time to be at Rutgers in the locker room on campus and and um, you know as an alumni. I, I see you all around campus, basketball, wrestling, whatever it is. For you to just be a part of the whole Rutgers athletic community and see other programs get things like the, the Fred Hill Training Complex, this weight room at the Hale Center get upgraded, how exciting is that for you, especially you mentioned even more things planned and things that we might not see yet just seeing the progress that things are actually getting done at Rutgers now. You hear it in, in locker rooms all the time. You, you hear the word family. An athletic program, all the sports are a family, whether it's the student athletes in our locker room, uh, whether it's uh, all the programs uh, on campus. Listen, when, uh, you know, when wrestling and basketball and football and soccer and baseball and softball and track and field and tennis and swimming and gymnastics, when, when everyone wins. Did you get them all? Or I, I... When, when everyone wins, the, the whole family grows and, uh, and the whole program wins. So, you know, obviously uh, uh, excited to, you know, I'm a big athletic fan. I like uh, college athletics, maybe opposed to, I like the pros, but, you know, it, it, there's something about the pageantry and the camaraderie and, uh, and you look at college football and basketball and what we you know, have here on campus uh, with wrestling. It, it's, uh, it's exciting to follow and, uh, and, uh, and to see all the programs grow. You, you already mentioned 250 years of Rutgers, but you guys celebrating 100 years of Rutgers lacrosse and you being the head coach for that. Is there anything special? What, what does that mean to you just with the history of this sport in the Northeast? I think it's special for our alumni. You know, 100, 100 year uh, celebrating uh, lacrosse here on campus at Rutgers. You know, we've had a, a lot of alumni that have uh, come through uh, you know, the doors here that have uh, really planted that Rutgers lacrosse flag uh, for our program and our student athletes to continue to, to carry. I mean, nine NCAA tournaments, over 205 All-Americans, academic All-Americans, North-South players, Hall of Fame uh, inductees uh, nationally and here in New Jersey. So uh, I think it's exciting for our alumni. It says a lot to uh, people that put on that jersey before I got here and all the things that they've done, what Coach Hayes has done, what uh, Coach Naso has done, and, uh, and, and all the coaches uh, and players uh, that have helped grow this program throughout the last hundred years. And I guess my last big picture question, it's, I guess we're sitting down talking now three or four days after the Adidas announcement came. You being a head coach, obviously you knew this was coming for a while, but now that the news is out, how excited are you just to talk about the changes and what do you think of the switch from Nike to Adidas? Well, I think as you see it all the time uh, in college athletics, uh, it's it's a little bit of an arms race, and uh, to see the excitement that Adidas has to partner and, and be one of the premier programs uh, that they're going to have uh, and be a flagship program, not only the uh, the gear and the, and the opportunity to do specialty uh, games and and, uh, and items for us, uh, uh, that's what uh, is, is great about the recruiting. Kids uh, want to have all the the bells and the whistles as well as the meat and potatoes. So. Uh, 
I think um, the apparel side on the on the footwear. I mean, you have an opportunity to uh, be with someone that is going to cater to your needs, wants and wishes, provide all the meat and potatoes that we need as a program to uh, play at a high level and win championships in the Big Ten, but also provide all the bells and the whistles and the extras that that, that the kids want and uh, that makes you feel good to compete every day and uh, and represent that Rutgers logo on game day. So meat and potatoes, I'm guessing you mean just the equipment that you need to get the job done as a coach, but the bells and whistles help in recruiting, I guess, with the... I don't know, is swag the right word? You know, what do you mean by bells and whistles? Well, I think, uh, you know, uh, swag is uh, is also, uh, you know, a terminology thrown around with all the, the different mixing and matching of uniforms uh-huh. and, and, uh, and apparel. Uh, I think uh, uh, the, the other thing that uh, the kids are saying these days is you want to feel like uh, you're representing, you're, you're wearing something that's lit. So, uh, right. uh, so the, the combinations of jerseys that we can provide the guys, the swag, uh, so they have that... Uh, that feeling when they go on the field that they're invincible and, and they're uh, well taken care of. Certainly that's just as much as uh, the meat and potatoes as far as uh, uh, the X's and O's. Yeah, I think kids want to be the, they want the fans to be looking at their gear and whose man's is this and just be excited about it. So I think that it helps. Well, just look at what we're doing right now. We're doing a podcast, right, you know, right. but uh, the social media, whether it's the podcasts, gifts, the the, uh, the, the little uh, R-Vision videos that we do, all the Instagram and Snapchats and, and all the platforms that there are, some are audio but some are very visual and uh you know those pictures and the, the social media aspect of things uh certainly is a is great branding opportunities for not only our student athletes for what they do on and off the field academically included but also uh uh representing the the program and and, and how we uh how we look uh, while we represent i, uh, I think across, across the board you guys have stepped up your social media game is that something that you've i guess made an emphasis on because it seems like this kind of stuff really does make a difference in recruiting and branding and stuff I think instant gratification is something that everyone seems to want nowadays. Yeah. So uh, whether it's a uh, update on information on uh, game day stuff, pre-game stuff, uh, post-game stuff, uh, apparel, uh, you know, everyone's uh, looking for information and the um, technology that everyone has uh, at their fingertips now in their pockets certainly uh, allow us to showcase our student athletes and the job they're doing in the classroom, uh, as well as uh, the performance they're you know having on the field. Shift, shifting gears to this season, lacrosse season, you guys are 1-0, you're ranked yet again. I'm guessing that you don't care as much about talking about Big Ten Coach of the Year as maybe some of the honors that your players have earned and are competing for. What What is your excitement level just for the players that you're seeing now develop? I know you've had injuries, but that's just a chance for other guys to step up. Players make plays. So uh, we wouldn't be playing for Big Ten championships. We wouldn't be a ranked program uh, if we didn't have great student-athletes that, that came to our program playing at a high level and, but had the hunger uh, to continue to develop uh, and improve their game, better players throughout their four-year careers when they left the locker room as when they came in. So, and, um, I think you've seen a culmination of a, of a lot of hard work uh, by the coaching staffs and give the assistants a lot of credit for what they've done in the recruiting efforts, but also in the development of, uh, of the players offensively, defensively, um, and in the special situations to allow us to compete uh, with the schedule that we have and, and uh, to have success on game day. How much does it change things when you have a guy like Adam Sherlambides with the injury, or is it your roster is so massive that you're able to make up for that and, and tweak Things, or does that just change your whole preparation for the season? Well, obviously, uh, you lose uh, the freshman uh, Big Ten Player of the Year. Right. Forty-three goals is a is a, is a lot to uh, to replace. And you know, like I said, you do have confidence in the the way we practice, the way we play. Our strength and conditioning program is is outstanding. Our academic support of allowing guys to excel in, in the classroom is outstanding. So uh, I do think that we have a lot of people that are going to be stepping up into different roles because of some of the injuries we've had. But that's that's why you practice the same way. That's why you provide opportunities to all the guys on the roster. Because sometimes, whether it's someone's got to take a test, someone's got the flu, uh, or whether it's a season-ending injury, you know, there's going to be opportunities that everyone might not be 100% every game all year long. I mean, you need the guys that are, you know, when their numbers are cold, that they're ready to step up. And I think we have developed uh, uh, a lot of depth. Uh, it does feel sometimes like, you know, we graduated two senior classes. You always graduate a senior class every year. Uh, but then with the guys we have missing that we maybe thought on paper we had coming into the season, it does feel like you graduated two classes. So it's going to test our metal a little bit. It's going to test our development. It's going to test the uh, 
the guys uh, ready to step up into new roles and extended uh, uh, minutes. Uh, obviously, uh, it's a team game, so the better we are collectively as a whole, if we can play well within our systems and understand what we do very well and play to our strengths and, and get to know our opponent as fast as we can as we prep during the week, the, the more successful we're going to have on game day. Speaking of game day, 2.30 Saturday, you open home open against Army, a, a tough opponent. What what can I guess fans expect from this version of Rutgers lacrosse? I'm sure some people were able to watch the win over St. John's, but for a lot of people, this is the first time they're going to see you guys really since last May. Yeah, no, it's a, it's exciting to put on the home white jerseys and the pride uh, of coming out of the tunnel and representing the Rutgers at home wearing the white jerseys uh, against the uh, talented and a, and I think another program that's maybe celebrating a uh, hundred year anniversary uh, wow. of playing lacrosse. So I think the Rutgers Army matchup has been the uh, longest standing uh, rivalry in uh, Division One lacrosse. So talented team, well coached, uh, and in uh, the, the games over the, the time that I've been here have always been one two goal contests. So. Uh, our guys know that it's going to be a, a full 60-minute game with a lot of back and forth and ups and downs, and we're excited for the, the challenge and the, and the opportunity to, uh, to play at home. And I have a totally selfish question here. You've got 54 guys that counted on the roster, plenty from Jersey, but you got four from Northern Virginia, from Fairfax County. you got three kids from Paul VI. you got a kid from James Madison. Uh, what's the lacrosse talent level like down there? That's, that's where I grew up, and lacrosse was the big sport down there. I think uh, there's great lacrosse being played all over the country, and it's the fastest game growing at the high school and college level, uh, youth and high school level, I should say, and it's and it's obviously uh, pushing up into the college ranks. So playing in the Big Ten, competing with the schedule that we have, we need uh, the best athletes, the best students, the best skilled players uh, that we can that we can get. And we want the best guys from New Jersey to come and, and represent Rutgers here at home, uh, but we also want the best players you know, from Virginia and uh, Northern Virginia has some very good lacrosse in that D.C. area, and uh, it's spreading out to the suburbs, uh, Loudoun County, where Michael Rexroad's from. And um, but uh, there's good lacrosse and there's good athletes everywhere, and uh, it's exciting to see the game grow. And being in the Big Ten and having the history academically that Rutgers has. Uh, it's nice to be able to draw from uh, best student-athletes uh, nationally that we can uh, get in front of and, and have a look at Rutgers. So you recruited Paul VI, you recruited Madison, both in the Vienna area, the Fairfax area, for people that don't know. Have you ever recruited the arch-rival for both schools? you ever recruited anyone at Oakton High School by any chance? I, I did recruit uh, an Oakton player when I was at Loyola College, and certainly uh, all those schools down there have been very competitive, and uh, certainly uh, the growth has grown uh, tremendously in that uh, D.C. and Northern Virginia area. Oakton's got some talent, trust me. They do. <laughs> All right, thanks, Coach. Thanks, Coach. Editor's note here, uh, Coach Brecht was absolutely right. What a memory on that man. Dan Bowers, former uh, Oakton Cougar, played for Brecht at Loyola. Good call on that one, Coach. And also much respect from the Hellman family to you, for after the recorders went off shouting out the Vienna Inn on Chambridge Road in Fairfax County. That man knows his Northern Virginia. From one Brian to another, thanks to Brian Brecht for joining the Rutgers Scoutcast this week. Do you think what, I can give him any lacrosse tips considering I've been coaching you know, in East Brunswick for about four years? Maybe, because he will be coaching... Tomorrow, 2.30 at Rutgers, maybe you can stop by, yell on the sidelines, start a fight, do, do the kinds of like coaching dad things. This was the news for the uh, week. We're going to start talking about it now. But first, Brian, how has your, your week been? Your, really, for mo both of us, the first week free since signing day. Yeah, it's actually been really productive. I, I was able to touch base with a ton of 2018s. I think people have been reading about some of them on the site. But the other good thing that we've done is... If you look in the East region now, we're talking Virginia up through New England, out through Pittsburgh. If you're a four-star or a five-star in the 2018 class, your profile has junior highlights in it. Analysis is all broken down in there. And I would say within the next month, it'll be that way for all the three-stars in the East region too, which I think is really important for Rutgers fans that they could really get a little more in-depth knowledge on kids. They can watch the tapes, which will be in their profiles. And they don't have to ask, hey, what does this kid do well? Because it'll be in their analysis piece in their player profile. Well, I can't stress enough how valuable the player profiles are that no one checks. 
that, you know, most, a lot of times people have a question, what's going on with this recruit? Why isn't Rutgers recruiting Evan Stewart hard enough? Or what's going on with the quarterbacks after Sikowski? You can go into their profiles and it's got breakdowns, video, every article written about them since their freshman year. Well, and for some since their eighth grade year. And and the other part of it that's good is, hey, at least, you know, when you're talking about East Region kids, when you look at those schools of interest, they're updated. There's, you know, they, there's a reason that, you know, I was, perfect example, I was, I was texting back and forth with Trayvon King, the kid out of Camden Wilson, who has a Rutgers offer. Right, right. Yeah, likes him a lot. And he just picked up an Army offer, and he said, hey, I thought Army was really interested in me. You have him listed as low interest. And I said, well, you have a Rutgers offer and a Houston offer. I don't think you're going to Army. If you want me to change it to medium interest, I will. But I thought your interest in Army was low. And he goes, yeah, good call. I'll leave it there. And the point being that, you know, it's not what the interest level of the school is. It's not what the interest level of the kid is. There's no, it's not defined. That's where it is on either side. It could be either side. So it's really valuable, to be honest. People should really start paying attention to it. A couple of guys right now, and this is where we're going to start the news, our, our 2018 Spotlight a couple of guys on the Rutgers radar, and that interest level is a strong medium for both kids, uh, are wide receiver Josiah Prevalon and defensive end Lance Ture. Both have brothers on the team. Both are at Irvington, and both, as you reported Thursday morning, are expected to be at this second Rutgers Junior Day Saturday. Irvington's a program that's starting to add more talent, get more attention from schools in the area and schools nationally, I think that, again, Ture, you, you, if you don't know that name, I don't know why you're listening, he uh, he got an offer when he visited campus about three, four weeks ago. Josiah, I wouldn't be surprised if he lands one at junior day. I'd be surprised if Josiah did not get one at junior day, to be honest. It's kind of like the carrot dangling in front to get him on campus and, you know, just learn more about him. As far as Ture is concerned, Sam, you and I remember him when he was some skinny kid playing down in Georgia. You know, he would come up to camps and and see Kamoko and hang out with him a little bit. And just, you know, a fun kid to talk to, and he smiles a lot. He was shy at the time, but he's gotten more, you know, outward, I guess, as he's matured. But the important thing is Chris Ash went to go see a basketball game, you know, during the eval period or whatever you want to call it back in January. And and he was able to go watch them play basketball and, and... saw the athleticism, and, and that's why he offered Teray at the time. Teray, from everything I'm told, is up to 235, 240 pounds. Yeah, which I saw nice. him at the rack a couple weeks yeah. ago. I'd say that's accurate. Yeah, and and so it makes more sense. He's more ready. I remember when Kamoko was a senior in high school, he was about 210. Those are the kind of kids that Rutgers really has to do well with. We all know the perils and pitfalls of recruiting Bergen Catholic and Paramus Catholic and DePaul and Pope John and you know I, I think when you're Rutgers you're still there's only a few of the North Jersey Catholic schools that you can rely on and St. Peter's is one and I think Bosco is another even when Toll was there but now with Mike Teal as the lead guy um, I, I think you can count on them but you you have to really make headway with the public schools and I think it's important that both Prevalon and Teray have good visits. Both of them have brothers with Rutgers football. Uh, Nixon. Not Wellington. Correct. Nixon, there isn't even anyone named Wellington. That's a beef. (laughs) That's a beef. And it goes well with provolone. And it's wrapped in a pastry. How would you know? Because you're not eating that. I watch a lot of Hell's Kitchen. Language, please. Nixon provolone. Anyway, he's a walk-on. He was with the video crew under Kyle Flood, and then was a regular walk-on that earned a spot with Chris Ash. He spent a little time away from the program last year, but he's back working out with the team now. Kamoko Ture, obviously everyone's heard of him. So Rutgers is starting to recruit brothers, and it's recruiting brothers that have experience that will be able to talk about what it's like to play for Chris Ash. Whether you're talking about these guys, whether you're talking about Malachi Melton or Jordan Nash or Tylen Odin's brother, whose name I can't remember, but they're recru- Mr. Odin. There you go. A lot of brothers that can actually talk about what it's like to play for Chris Ash, whereas a year, two years ago when Ash is first getting started, I guess 12 to 14 months ago, you recruit brothers or people with ties, and, and they don't have anyone to ask. They can't 
they can't ask their older brothers or whatever what it's like playing for Ash because he hadn't been there for a year. Yeah, I, I actually think that's a good point by you, which I think that's two this year, so you're over your quota. You know, you say that every podcast. Eventually you might remember that I have a good point or so every once in a while. Not at my age. Um, but the thing I look at is when you got guys like Ture and Prevalon and Nash, the important things about those guys are they can give their younger sibling the before and after talk. Before, you did whatever you wanted, there were no repercussions, and you did not get better. After, Ash runs a tight ship, but he's fair, you're going to get better, you're going to develop physically. And so it then puts it in a more positive light than just saying, okay, yeah, I'm here and having a good time. I think it's a good compare-contrast kind of thing. Yeah, and it it says, I think, at least something about Komoko Ture's progress. You're not going to go after his brother without vetting everyone involved because Komoko obviously has had some documented problems with practicing and getting healthy and his attitude and everything. He practices? Well, he doesn't practice. That's the problem. But now I think it shows that Komoko has maybe bought in a little bit more in the off season with Kenny Parker. We'll we'll see as things go on. And I think the interesting thing with Komoko is for a while before Chris Ash arrived, you don't yell at Komoko. You let him do whatever he wants and because you didn't want to make him mad and upset because he was so talented and we saw how productive that approach was. And now you have a coach that you better do the work or there's going to be repercussions for it. And to me, Sam, and I think, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I think you agree. I'm stunned that Komoko's here at this time. At this time last year, I figured there was no way that kid was going to make it even through the summer. And that he's still there, I'll give him credit for sticking through it and trying to work hard and get better. And hopefully it it results in good things for him because you never want to see a kid fail. And and I think that's important. Not only here, but still getting opportunities. He is... Well, it's because they have no DNs, but yes. Yeah, exactly. But when his... He blows a coverage that essentially Rutgers, if you ask the coaching staff, it was a pretty darn definitive play that cost them a game. And then there's other times they had to blow two timeouts because Kamoko was on the field when he wasn't supposed to be. Those are things when you see it that you say, well, we're never going to see this guy. Nothing with, with Kamoko, any kid that does that. Yeah. We're never going to see this guy again. Yeah. But they kept giving him chances, and hopefully it works out for him this spring. Henry Baker, your new cornerbacks coach, got a chance to meet him this week. Media availability. I hope you enjoyed checking out that video for our Scarlet Report members. Impressions of Baker? <laughs> positive. Impressions are positive of Henry Baker. I, I know that fans might not say, oh, they hired a cornerbacks coach that was his staff was just fired at Delaware and might not be that impressed, especially because Aaron Henry was so popular as a spokesperson on social media. The recruits liked him. But I think that Baker brings a lot. He checks a lot of the boxes, and that's that's a Chris Ash phrase, checking a lot of the boxes. He's a Jersey guy. Uh, from Patterson, he played in. We played in the ACC with Maryland, but he kind of knows the area as coach. So a Jersey guy that went out of state to play. He went out of state. Get this, he went out of state because of relationships. Really? He had relationships at Maryland, and that's why he went there. Really, I know, stunning. Wow, I didn't realize that relationships were important in recruiting. Exactly. He uh, he's back now, and he's excited to get going. He he's still got a lot to learn about Rutgers and and the roster and the challenges that he faces because he's a new coach. You know, you got to start with learning names and backgrounds and families of your kids. And that's kind of the step that he's at right now, getting to know everyone. But by the time spring gets going, I think you're going to see a coach that has a lot of energy. I've been told that for those that watch practices or watch the spring game, expect lots of, you know, crazy LeBron James handshakes and all that kind of nonsense that recruits love. And I don't care about, uh, that really helps you stop a pass. Yeah, but if you know, and come up and run support, you're having fun at practice. It's better than not having fun. No doubt. You know, I look at a guy like Baker, and the the hire makes sense because, like you said, Jersey guy, so he has some ties up there. We talked about Irvington before, and just he's a North Jersey guy who can really help out recruiting schools like Irvington and Union and and just stuff like that, just because of his name recognition. But also, he doesn't have to be a great coach right now. Bill Bush is a very good secondary coach. I I spent a lot of time 
I spent a lot of time in January talking about the coaching staff at Rutgers, just, just speaking with other coaches about what they see. And they say Bill Bush is an absolutely fantastic coach when it comes to the X's and O's and technique and everything with the defensive backs. I would not be surprised in the near future to see somebody make a run at him as like a D coordinator or something. Yeah, yeah. And the other thing about it is Chris Ash is really good with the corners. And so you have Bush with the safeties, Ash with the corners. So now Baker, how much does he have to do? He's going to learn from two really good guys, and that's what you want. I remember, I remember when Anthony Campanelli came aboard from a high school coach to Rutgers. You know, it just takes time to learn how to do a lot of things. You can't come in and say, okay, you're going to be a stellar recruiter, a great coach. It, it takes time to learn some of the things, especially when you're transitioning to the Big Ten. But it makes a lot of sense for, for a number of reasons. One thing that's really important is you have to have a coach who gets along well with the players. Sam, you've heard the term good cop, bad cop, I think. and We I, play it every week. One day you'll be the good cop, but not this week. It, it sounds like, and you know Baker more than I do, he could be one of the good cop kind of guys where guys can really relate to him, and, you know, that's nice to have. So you're saying that Chris Ash is the bad cop? We were talking about Ash and Bill Bush, so you can take your own pick, but I'll tell you this. I've covered a lot of really good head coaches, and I've never met a really good head coach that wasn't the bad cop while a kid was playing. Now, after and the kids get older and they learn their lessons, they come back and they realize what it was for. Um, but, you know, when you're a good cop and you allow, as a head coach, you allow the players to do anything they want, you wind up getting fired while you're at a high school football game in Long Island. Working for Sirius uh, Satellite Radio. Breaking news Thursday morning. I, I've found out at lovely 5.15 a.m. But ah, so after you were up for a few hours. Yeah, it was nice. Broke the story around, uh, I, I want to say 9, 9.15. Mike Teal in, Greg Toll out. Big changes at Don Bosco. Greg Toll retires after 33 years of coaching, 300 wins, 17 at Don Bosco. You and I have both dealt, both dealt with him, and he he's a big-time coach. Mike Teal, who everyone knows as a a great Rutgers quarterback that has stayed around Rutgers and stayed in the conversation for the 10 years since he's left, takes over at, at age 30, one of the biggest programs in the country. I guess you would say this was a good day for Rutgers. Wow, I feel really old when you just told me he's 30. It's a great day for Rutgers just because you now have a prominent voice who is supportive of the program at a place that produces a lot of Division One players. And, you know, Bosco's been friendly to Rutgers. First off, though, I, I need to say something about Greg Toll because I always found him so interesting to deal with because he was so hard-nosed and driven and everything. But as I went, and I get to see a lot of high school games, Sam, I probably see, oh, geez, 50 to 60 a fall just going around and all over the place. Best coach I've seen. I mean, he is such a good coach, and he prepares his kids and his team so well. You see a lot of really bad coaches in high school. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. mean, a lot. You know, like fourth and eight, and the state championship's on the line, and you're running a QB draw with a 5'10", 230-pound quarterback kind of coaches. Greg Toll's unbelievable coach. The best I've seen out there, you know, when you go to all these places. And then when you look at Teal and what it means, it's significant because Teal has very strong feelings for Rutgers. There was a time where it looked like he was going to be the next in line on the coaching staff at Rutgers um, when he was involved with the program. And he was, from my understanding, told that that would happen. And then somebody else got hired and he kind of branched off a little bit. Now to have him there, and I know that Chris Ash has welcomed him back to the program, and he has, like you said, really strong feelings. I know he speaks with you frequently just about what goes on at Rutgers. And he has, he'll, he'll always put the interests of his kids first, and he should do that, but he will always make sure that Rutgers gets a fair look. I, I don't think that, and I saw a lot of this on, on Twitter and stuff, that Oh, here, here comes Bosco driving all their kids to go to Rutgers. I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think any coach does that in New Jersey. No, <laughs> no. That would be a nice change for Rutgers fans, I think. I, I don't think that Mike Teal is going to sit down and tell a single kid, you need to go to Rutgers. 
why aren't you looking harder at Rutgers? What I do think Mike Teal is going to do is make sure that the Rutgers staff knows about kids that they're getting, kids that they're developing. Kids will always have a ride to Rutgers campus if they need one. And it allows Rutgers to just build relationships. And I think the stronger that relationship is with Don Bosco, you're going to see DePaul or whoever say, hey, how come how come all the Bosco kids are always talking about Rutgers, but, but our DePaul kids aren't getting that much attention? And I think that it's going to help a lot of stuff in North Jersey to have a guy like Mike Teal, not on, on your side, because Mike Teal is going to be just as supportive at Syracuse where Tommy DeVito's up there and of other schools, but it's Rutgers and it's Mike Teal. And when you think about Mike Teal, for a lot of Rutgers fans, he's one of the first guys you think about in any capacity because of what he did as a player uh, in his five years at Rutgers. I look at Teal much in the way of Rich Hansen at St. Peter's Prep, and I think Richie does one of the best jobs in terms of handling a kid's recruitment anywhere. He understands who kids are. He understands where is best for them. He will always make sure they give Rutgers a look. I mean, even when Rutgers wasn't recruiting Brandon Wimbush, he made sure Brandon went down and visited campus. Now it helped that Brandon's brother was on the track team at Rutgers. Minka Fitzpatrick was not going to Rutgers, but he made sure Minka Fitzpatrick visited Rutgers. And I think Teal will do the same thing. At the end of the day, you can't force a kid to go somewhere because, you know, nobody would want that to happen to their kid. So you shouldn't ask for somebody else to. But I think it, you know, and Greg Toll was good to Rutgers. He wasn't there bashing Rutgers or anything. He was more just around. And he wasn't going to say anything good. He wasn't going to say anything bad. He was just going to, if the kids had questions, he would answer them honestly. I think Teal will be a little more proactive with getting the kids to campus. But at the end of the day, Tyler Friday is going to go where Tyler Friday wants to go. And Mike Teal should not be telling him where to go. Now, the, the advantage for Rutgers, it's the same as, you know, Augie Hoffman at St. Joe's Montvale, who played at Boston College, when a kid is interested in Boston College and says, hey, Augie, you know, coach, what, what, do you, what do you think of this? He can explain, this is what it was like at BC, this was my experience, this is the campus, this is the alumni network. Well, now Teal can do that with Rutgers. I was in Mike Teal's office, I guess the Bosco assistant office, about maybe 10 months ago, and there is posters everywhere of, you know, come come to the Notre Dame spring game or, hey, Don Bosco, Florida State is happy to recruit your school. Posters of all the places where they've placed kids and schools that are recruiting them. And there was a Rutgers poster. And I remember saying, oh, that's nice. It looks brand new. And I was told, well, it is. There wasn't a Rutgers poster up here for a while. I, I think now with, with Chris Ash, with Mike Teal, with all of the connections between Rutgers and Don Bosco and the way things are changing, I think that Rutgers poster might find its way into the new head coach's office. Yeah, I think it will. And just so people know, every school does a thing with the posters where they send the kids and they do all that other stuff. So it's not new. That there was no Rutgers poster in the Bosco office is alarming, to say the least, especially given that Leonte Carew and Darius Hamilton and Gary Nova were recent Rutgers players, but it's also not surprising given what had transpired a few years prior. All right, so welcome into the Rutgers ScoutCast mailbag for the week. You can always contact me on the Scarlet Report premium site to get your priority questions in. Sam Hellman Scout on Facebook, shellman at scout.com via email, and that's where the question came from this week. The question came from Shelly, and it's a question about the fan experience at Rutgers, Brian. So here's the question. How do you think we, as in Rutgers fans and people promoting Rutgers, not we as in Sam Hellman, can get more fans and more dedicated fans in Rutgers athletics, particularly for football and basketball? Is there anything that you hear over and over from fans that you think that Rutgers needs to do? Put a good product on the field, court, pool, whatever you want to call it. I, I think that's the biggest thing is put a product out that you can be proud of. And I don't mean it in terms of wins and losses, but, you know, try to get good publicity for the school instead of 
every time you pick up the paper, you're reading something. Well, if you pick up a paper anymore, but you're yeah, logging yes. on or, or radio, whatever it is that it's not, okay, this kid got arrested, this kid's having trouble here, there was a fight here, there was this there. The stuff that went on at Rutgers for too long. I think it's a, a long build. And I, I think the other thing that you really have to do is act like a big-time athletic department. I, I, and when I say that, I mean don't do hokey little things and actually put some money in to make it a good fan experience. And don't just say, well, because we're serving good food in the Audi Club, the fan base should be really excited. They don't care about that stuff. Well, you have to, first of all, have the good product, and B, you have to make it fun to go to the games outside of the game a little bit and not be so militant with stuff in parking lots and just stuff like that. And also get the word out a little better. You know, signing day comes. I, I don't really feel like getting an email three seconds later about my season tickets renewal and then get a phone call every other day asking me if I'm going to renew it. Know how to be professional. Know how to do your job. And don't bother me. I think those are a couple key key, key things. I would say that a big thing that I think Rutgers can do better is with making a personal connection. And just because you act like a big-time program, which you're right, Rutgers needs to do a better job of that with its promotions, with its game days, with the way it handles everything with tickets. I think there's something to making a personal connection. You know, I, I met a couple of fans at the alumni, I guess it was an alumni and donor signing day event where Chris Ash and the team spoke. It used to be the beefsteak dinner, but they do it differently and better now. Uh, some would disagree with that, but I think it's a great event. It because, was a question, not a statement. <laughs> because it's about, again, you make a personal connection there. If you're a regular Rutgers fan, and I was talking, I remember talking to a guy at the event. He's not a big time donor, but he got welcomed into this this room. He got to shake Chris Ash's hand. He got to talk to Jane Eamon for five minutes about linebackers. My point is, it's not that hard if you're a big like if you're a big person, a big figure at Rutgers, to take five minutes out of your day when you see a Rutgers fan with his hat on or, you know, Pat Hobbs going to sit in the student section for five minutes or anything that you can do just to make a personal connection because it's the same thing for us on Scarlet Report. The the longest standing, our most committed members are the ones that we've met in person, met at bars or at games. And I think it's the same for Rutgers where you're going to care a lot more about Chris Ash if you've looked him in the eye you shake his hand, and maybe he's given you a five-minute tour of the weight room or something. You know, one other thing jumped to my mind that they could do better, and you may have heard me talk about this before, but how about getting the president of the university behind the athletic department and really championing the cause? And look, I'm not saying to be like the president was at Ohio State or Chancellor, I can't remember which, who actually met with football recruits during official and unofficial visits. You don't have to do that. But if you have a president out there championing the cause and talking it up, it all starts from the top, right? So when it starts from up there, it rallies a lot more people. If President Farchi were to come out and just say, hey, you know what, and, and do a few interviews and say, you know what, we need to do more for athletics. We need to do this. Athletics is, look, I understand, great research institution, all that other stuff, but put athletics up there as well and really talk about how athletics can raise the visibility of a university. I think that's a big part of it too because then it puts everybody in a different mindset moving forward into it because you have the president who in theory should be the mouthpiece of the university talking about the Rutgers athletic experience and if He's interested in that. If you have a president interested in that, it's going to be better as it filters down, and it'll filter down to the fans. I mean, I remember when they went to the Insight Bowl, and President Dick McCormick was there, and he was out talking with all of the fans and with the band, and people were going up and getting their pictures taken with them. And it was an interesting um, back and forth with the president, whereas, you know, I don't know if President Barchi would even feel like flying that far to a bowl game. I've, the only time I've seen him this year was him sitting at the front row at wrestling on senior day as far as a sporting event. But the other part of this question is what do we, I mean, we talk to a lot of fans. What do we hear from these fans 
about fan experiences most often that can change. I mean, the list goes on from... It's just... They want less lines for the bathroom. I was just going to say, the, <laughs> the urinal conversation has been going on through four athletic directors. And Mike, I hope you're smiling at that one. The concessions uh, have been... I mean, look, every stadium has the same trash food, and that's nothing against Rutgers or any other stadium at that level, but... The lines and the professionalism at which they're run, I've heard lots of complaints about that from some of them. But then there's also stuff, I mean, I hear every day, how dare Chris Ash close practice to the fans? And I'm with Chris Ash on that one. But what you can do is you can you can find compromises. Maybe you don't want fans watching practice. I certainly wouldn't because I've seen what some fans do on social media when they are let into practice. But what you can do is maybe say, well, we have this new glass in front of our weight room. Why don't you come watch some of our guys lift in the off season? Or you can, the Scarlet Walk is cool. You can do maybe more things like that. It, it, I got no problem with letting fans watch what goes on behind the scenes. But when it comes to preparing for an actual game, that's when I totally am with Chris Ash. Yeah, I, I don't really think of fans coming to games, I mean to practices, because I watch them every, what is it, in the spring or training camp when they would open up one practice and everybody would be excited and halfway through the practice, half of the people would leave. Right. Um, so that's cosmetic, you know, that's that's so 5% of the people care about that stuff. When you're looking at things on a, on a larger scale, I, I think the first thing is, now you know me, Sam, I'm a friendly guy. And I think one of the things is just have people be more friendly when you're coming through. Oh, yeah. Uh, I remember, I think I mentioned this to you one day, I used to cover the Dodgers out in L.A. And for Fan Appreciation Day, the Dodgers used to go in their uniforms and be ticket takers for X amount of time. And it was just fun stuff like that. Not within the season, but I think it would be pretty cool if one day some of the football players, or maybe the coaches were ticket takers at the rack or whatever. Just silly stuff like that. Um, just to kind of get you out a little bit more. And they have the event at Quaker Steak and Lube where they do the radio show and, you know, take some questions from the crowd after, kind of mingle and hang out. It's tough because, you know, you don't want to sit there and get a group of five of your buddies and just drink afterward because you have to recruit and everything. But, you know, just kind of connect a little more. I'm curious to see how it goes, you know, moving forward. And I think the other thing is you have to make him more visible in the national and regional media. He, he's got to have the opportunities to be out there. And, you know, I remember when Greg Schiano was there and he it seemed like every time it was a big game, he was on everywhere in the area over the air. So I think it's it, a lot of things like that. I don't think there's one easy thing. You don't get into this situation because you did one or two things wrong over a four-month period. You get into this situation because like we mentioned earlier, you haven't run it like a big-time athletic department for, I don't know, a decade or six. So it's going to take some time. Shelly, this was a good question because we've obviously gone on for a while about it. I think that the common theme is basically in everything that Rutgers does, find a way to make more of a, a personal connection to the fan base, I think, would be the answer. Going off-topic, Brian, the question this more week. More questions. Yeah, we always have an yes! off-topic question, and I encourage fans to send more of these because I'm only getting one or two a week tops. The question this week for someone whose name I forgot to write down on my little paper is, if you weren't doing sports writing, what would you be doing for a living? Hmm. You know, I've thought about that a lot, actually. Um, and as you get further along in life, you come up with different ideas or challenges or things that you really look at. I think there's two things that... Where I am now, I, I would say, yeah, I'd be interested in that. At first, I'd love to be a chef. I do a lot of the cooking at home. I love it. Um, I think it would be fun to be a chef. The other thing is, you know, my sister has MS, and I know a lot of people had donated when I ran a marathon f to raise money for it. And I, I think I would want to do something in the nonprofit sector just in terms of raising awareness. It doesn't have to be for MS. I mean, Brandon Huffman are, you know, director of recruiting he had a daughter die of uh, basically she had a brain tumor she was eight I think seven or eight years old when she died uh, something like that and I'm, I'm talking with him about maybe running a marathon and raising money for that but it would be something like that because when you have kids and you see struggles things that you thought were important like 
20 years ago, I'd love to be like a professional video gamer, but things change. <laughs> Believe it or not, that's not my answer. Uh, I thought you were. <laughs> I thought you were already. That's why I can't be. Uh, I was playing a little Mass Effect 2 during my time off. Shout out to Bioware. Uh, I, I have no idea what any of that meant. Don't worry about it. I wouldn't say it was close. Thanks to you hitting me up when I was in class, October of my senior year. I, I still love the fact that I said, call me when you get out of class, and you just left class and called. It was a creative writing class. I, I was good. I'm quite creative. Um, really? Because I was going to say, you really could use the help with that when <laughs> you're reading the site. Yeah. I, I was pretty close, I guess. If, if this didn't work out, I probably would have gone into teaching. Uh, I'd probably be a teacher at the Fairfax County Public School System right about now, or... If not, I do. I still have a handshake deal with uh, one of my best friends from school. That if I, if we both flame out in life around age forty, we're gonna move to New Brunswick and open a trashy pizza place on Easton Ave so we can fight with college kids and yell at them and stuff. That's good. What What would you teach though? Uh, his, not at the pizza place. Given that journalism isn't isn't a uh, very you know a lot of, a lot of high schools and middle schools don't offer that. I probably teach history. I, I was. A history major at, at the Rutgers University. Really? I was a journalism major. I, I did history and journalism. I'm twice as smart as you are. Something like that. I always figured I could be, I would want to be a teacher, especially having young kids, but I coach a lot of different sports. In over an hour and a half practice, I see how much patience I have, and then I realize me being a teacher, maybe not. Yeah, especially that 5.30 a.m. wake-up call. Rutgers ScoutCast 50, it's over. Thank you to both Brian's for joining me, Sam Hellman, on the show. Rutgers lacrosse coach Brian Brecht, go ahead, shoot him or the Rutgers lacrosse team a message on social media, Twitter, Facebook. Maybe make, make a Rutgers ScoutCast sign if you're at the game tomorrow and hold that up from, from the crowd at High Point. Thanks to Brian Doan for joining the show with... Really a lot of future recruiting and Rutgers branding discussion, everything from the start of the 2018 class to re really cool for me to see a guy like Mike Teal that, I mean, I was sitting in, in class with him and, and Ray Rice and Courtney Green and some of these guys 10 years ago and, and see Mike Teal achieve that head coaching dream that... I always thought he was going to be a head coach, and it's awesome to see him finally get that opportunity. Speaking of quarterbacks, I think that there's going to be a bit of a quarterback theme on this podcast in the month of March. I've lined up two former quarterbacks as guests and possibly a third to join the show, talk about Rutgers, talk about the challenges of being a Rutgers quarterback, because playing quarterback at Rutgers ain't easy. I mean, you've seen and some of you have voice your opinions towards these guys. And I think it, especially with the way that the quarterback position is changing under Jerry Kill, under Chris Ash, with Jonathan Lewis coming in, I think it would be really interesting to hear from some former quarterbacks about that. That's probably going to start on next week's show. We're also getting closer to the Big Ten tournament. Well, I will be in my hometown, Washington, D.C., at the Verizon Center for Rutgers looking to pick up its first win in a Big Ten basketball tournament. For the latest on Rutgers basketball, Rutgers football and recruiting, you know you can catch me on Scarlet Report at any time, and you can catch me here every Friday on the Rutgers ScoutCast. Mm -hmm.